0: Featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo. With your host, Patrick Moran.
1: All right. What is going on, everybody? How are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and More. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always. For checking in with us today, whether you're watching on the audio side, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from, or whether you're checking us out on the video side on YouTube, appreciate you all very much. If you haven't done so already, please uh, like, subscribe, comment, really helps us continue to grow, especially on uh, the video side. Today is Wednesday. Well, at least when most of you are listening to this anyway, it is Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Again, thank you for tuning in. This will be, uh, not going to be long because again, hey, before Thanksgiving, some of you are even off of work today. This is our, well, I don't want to say weekly because we haven't done it quite every week, but most weeks I've done a, uh, Bill's film and PFF grades analysis. That's what we're doing today from week 11. Uh, what I do is watch the coaches all 22 film the day after the game. And then when our pro football focus comes out with their, uh, premium grades for the game and for the season, updated numbers. I kind of sift through them and come up with some uh, opinions and evaluations, at least in part, based on those. I'll say the same thing that I say every week when I do this type of episode. This is more for, for me to either strengthen or, in some cases, maybe loosen or, or change my opinion on something that I thought I saw with my naked eyes while watching the game live on Sunday. Um, This is not a uh, a concept podcast. It's not about schemes and too many X's and O's. Like I always say, if if that's what you're looking for, uh, Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills or or Eric Turner and Anthony Brohaska from Cover One, those guys are experts. They can break down film so well. They put up clips. They they narrate through them. They do such a great job. Uh, Make sure you go check them out. But that's not what this is about. Like I said, this is me watching the film. And coming back to you with some some thoughts. In some cases, things that I've already said in the one or two episodes following the game. In some cases, I'm like, you know what? Now that I see that, I kind of changed my mind about something that I previously uh, had felt. And in some cases, the PFF numbers will will support it or go against it. So anyway, that's what we do with this episode. Uh, I'm going to try really hard to not make this long again. I know you got other stuff that you want to get to content wise. And tomorrow is a uh, a holiday. On that note, just like always, I have three big takeaways. Then I'll kind of fly through the positions, uh, give a couple thoughts on each, drop some uh, PFF grades on you, some numbers, some thoughts like that. And then I'll have uh, a conclusion at the end with the Bills having a huge, huge game this coming Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. But more on that in a few minutes. Let's go back to the beginning here and my three biggest takeaways from this game. Again, both watching it on Sunday and then also watching the coaches film and, and kind of pouring over uh, some grades. To me, the biggest thing, the big difference is the obvious one, something that I'm sure most, if not all, you notice as well. And that's just an offense that looked different. Different in a good way, obviously. Um, Joe Brady took over. The results were apparent. And I said this on Monday show, and I'll say it again here. I don't put too much stock into what the Bills' defense did against the Jets' offense because the Jets' offense is just an absolute train wreck. But the Jets have a great, even elite defense. And the Bills' offense, what they did against them, don't understate that because it was extremely impressive. The Bills did things differently. And again, you, you see the film and, and you kind of notice that as well. Um, motion, different formations, and the most significant thing I think that's visible to, to everybody is the usage of the running backs, not just running the football, which they did effectively, but also in the passing game. Josh Allen had three touchdowns, three touchdown passes, I should say. Two of those went to running backs, and on both of those, they weren't like secondary options where he checked out and the running back just made a great play. These were design plays to the running back. One of them, a short touchdown to James Cook. One of them, um, a fourth and one and a half swing pass on play action to Ty Johnson that turned into a touchdown. It was a great individual play for him to stay in tightrope down the sideline. But my point is, these were design plays for them. I thought that was real impressive. I saw, um, A note on Twitter that I wanted to pass along because this really demonstrates about the Bills using motion and how successful it was against the Jets on Sunday. Uh, Doug Farrell from USA Today pointed this out. The Bills used some kind of pre-snap motion on 15 of Josh Allen's attempts against the Jets. Allen completed all 15 of those passes for three explosive plays and all three of his touchdowns. So the Bills use motion under Joe Brady a lot more than they did uh, when Ken Dorsey was offensive coordinator. So that jumps out right off the page to, again, in a good way. Um, Another takeaway, not really so much based on film, although I did watch the CFA. Is is he wide open and Josh just didn't bother to look at him? And at least with, with my eyes, I didn't see it. But Gabe Davis, there was probably, I would imagine so by this point of the week, a tremendous amount of uh, Bill's Twitter hate towards Gabe Davis because he's just not doing anything. And when I say not doing anything, I'm at least talking about in the passing game. No catches, no targets against the Jets. This is coming off a game where he only had one reception the week before. Then you go back a couple weeks, and it was, which feels like such an anomaly now, but he had nine catches for 87 yards and a tutty against um, Tampa. But the week before that, one catch for five yards. So in three of his last four games, if you throw off the Tampa Bay game, those other three games, he's got one catch for five yards combined. And you're like, seriously, this is my number two wide receiver. And this is what I'm getting, which is absolutely nothing in a passing game. Uh, two points that you see on film. Number one, and I know this isn't going to satisfy people who say, you know, this is your wide receiver too. And you, you want him to make explosive plays. I get that. But in Joe Brady, went out of his way. I think he might have even said earlier in the week that Gabe Davis was one of his MVP's. Gabe Davis is a really good blocker, and he did a really good job blocking. There were a couple James Cook runs specifically that I saw where Gabe Davis was a lead blocker. He would get, and not even just like a safety, like he'd get a good block on a linebacker to spring him. So Gabe Davis did a really good job blocking. I don't, I don't want to know, say in the passing game if he was a decoy, because again, I didn't even really see Josh Allen look at him. But he was good in the... In the run game. And here's my thing with, with Gabe Davis in the passing game. This is why I'm not sitting here yelling. And it's not because I've been team Gabe Davis for two and a half seasons now, which I have. And I'm not going to run from that either. I thought Gabe Davis was going to become a big breakout star. Obviously, that hasn't happened. But here's my point. I'm not mad about it. Not mad about it at all. And here's why. You want a balanced and unpredictable Bills offense, right? Well, you got an MVP caliber quarterback who's chucking the ball around. You also want to see him run the football more, which he is starting to do now again. Or at least scramble or design runs, whatever you want to call it. But he's starting to use his legs. So that's what you want. You want the Bills to run, not necessarily more, but more effectively. And we saw some of that against the Jets. James Cook running the football. Latavius Murray running the football. Even Ty Johnson running the football. You want... Your number one stud wide receiver to be a focal part of the offense. The Bills have a top five receiver in the NFL in Stefan Diggs. Not so much against the Jets, but overall, you're going to feed him the ball because he's your number one guy. Then you got a first round draft pick, rookie tight end, Dalton Kincaid, who is more on him in a few minutes. But he's really emerging as a important part of this Bills offense now. And now you got Khalil Shakir who's emerged, you know, from a, a crowded slot area where we didn't know who was going to contribute and how much It's becoming obvious now that Khalil Shakir is that guy. He's your slot guy. He's your Cole Beasley. He's your new Cole Beasley with more explosion. So you got all this stuff going on. There's only one football, right? Somebody's stats are going to go in the tube. And right now it's Gabe Davis. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty obvious, but You know, if he's catching five, six passes, that means Dalton Kincaid's not catching passes. So you're pissed at him. Or Khalil Shakir's not doing anything. Or they're not using the running backs out of the backfield. Or they're not running the ball as much. Or Josh Allen isn't using his legs. So you can't have, even in a great offense, you can't have everything. So I'm okay with Gabe Davis not having any offensive production in the passing game. Because again, I know it's not fun to talk about. And it's not what he's going to get paid for. But he's doing his job still. He's attracted attention. He's putting maybe a safety over top on him because they don't want him to get behind uh, the corner. So he's still doing some things well, even if he's not catching the football or even getting the football thrown to him. So I'm not going to sit here, I'm not going to hate on Gabe Davis. The only thing, and I said this yesterday, the only thing that's changed my mind about Gabe Davis is he's going to be playing somewhere else next year. Because the bills are not going to be paying 10, 12, 13 million dollars for a number two receiver when you got Dalton Kikade emerging and Shakira emerging and James Cook, stuff like that. Kind of feel like this, this, um, this offense ideally is starting to look like the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Like, I think that's what Joe Brady's vision for this offense is. The Kansas City Chiefs offense when they had Tyreek Hill, you got your one spectacular receiver, you got your all world tight end, you got a, a committee of running backs, and then you got a bunch of, eh, receivers the guys who will make a play here and there i kind of feel like that's what this bill's offense ideally could become so you're not going to pay big money to retain a guy like gabe davis even though i like him but you get what i'm saying you got your Stefon Diggs and your kincaid and then a, a host of supporting characters that's what gabe davis is uh just a supporting uh cast member right now with this football team that's number two number three And quite honestly, this really doesn't have anything to do with film because we saw it on TV and it was very uh, visible to see. But it's a point that's not being talked about enough this week to me. And I just want to throw some flowers the way of uh, fullback Reggie Gilliam because I thought the opening kickoff, uh, you know, you come into this game. It's a tense game. The Bills just lost at home to the Denver Broncos. Everything's on the line. Like if the Bills lose at home to the Jets, That is a wrap on the season. And the Bills win the toss. They defer because I said Sean McDermott took the ball first uh, against Denver, had a turnover. Denver scores. I said Sean McDermott ain't never going to win a coin toss and take the ball first again. And he didn't. But anyway, you kick off to the Jets and Gilliam just put a lick on Gibson. Opening kickoff, bam, fumble. Bills recover. Crowd goes nuts. He only got three out of it. But my point is the tone uh, for that game was set right off the bat. I thought that was important. If the Jets get the opening kickoff and they methodically drive 75 yards down the field because the Bills' defense has been known to sleepwalk through the first series of a lot of games. Not just this year, but even in recent years. It just it just seems to be the Bills' uh, ammo on defense. They, they, they sleepwalk, get scored on, and then they wake up. But anyway, that didn't happen on uh, Sunday. And Reggie Gilliam is very largely responsible for that. I thought he set the tone for the game. So I just wanted to make sure, you know, I use one of these three slots to uh, to give him his flowers. All right, I'm going to take a real quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to run through the positions, uh, drop some numbers on you, and then maybe a couple thoughts on those as well. Be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, I'm back with my uh, Bills Week 11 Film Study and PFF Grades Analysis. Talked about the big takeaways at the top. Uh, Let's just fly through these positions here. Josh Allen, we'll start a quarterback. Of course, Josh Allen, 20 of 32 for 275 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That one interception, I know it's going to look bad. It looks bad in the, in the box score. We can now say that Josh is throwing a pick in seven straight games. Reality, was a Hail Mary at the end of the half, and I think it's bullshit. That's even got to count uh, against his stats. 64.4 PFF overall grade. Not really that great. I think it's lower mostly, and I don't know the exact formula, but he did get hit and fumbled once. Fortunately, I think it might have been Spencer Brown. Uh, that recovered it for the Bills. So maybe that's why his grade was lowered a little bit. But again, really efficient. 20 of 32, 275. Thought he played great. When you watch the film, unlike other weeks, like he didn't have any passes where I felt like he forced a bad throw, especially on the sideline, which has really bitten him for a lot of this season. He was very patient. He was more than willing to take what the defense gives him. To me, I go back very early in the season, After a a disastrous home opener, or not home opener, road opener against the Jets, Josh really settled down the next two games against the Raiders and against Washington and played the style of football that I think you saw plenty of on Sunday here uh, against the Jets. He just wasn't forcing anything. I I think the interception, I think, might have been his only turnover-worthy pass, if I remember correctly, um, of this entire game. For me personally, I thought this was his best game since week four in Miami. Yeah, he was smart. He was mechanical. And I'm going to point out a couple other things that some of you might think is stupid, but I don't. He was enthusiastic. And he was youthful. Uh, I, those are traits, I think, that matter to him. I think Josh Allen is at his best when he looks like a big kid out there playing a game. Whereas, chunks of this season, it's almost felt businesslike, And we've seen it. The mistakes going to the sidelines, sulking, Uh, the lack of communication just seeming despondent at times. The post-game pressers have been cringy almost, hard to watch with him. This wasn't that Josh Allen. This Josh Allen, even down to a fresh-ass new haircut, was pretty sweet, man. But the youthfulness, the enthusiasm, playing a big kid's game, talking some shit, talking some shit. I think there's one uh, sound clip on, social media where he's actually saying, I think I'm fucking back. Love to see it, man. This is the Josh Allen that the bills need. I mean, it's not even uh, a debate right now, but like uh, Doug said in that stat that I pointed out at the beginning, Josh had 20 overall completions, 15 of them were in pre-step motion. Joe Brady deserves a lot of credit for this offensive performance by the bills. So that's your quarterback running back. James cook, 17 carries, 73 yards. Also had three receptions for 29 yards and a touchdown catch. 688 rushing yards on the season, which is fourth most in the NFL right now. Uh, He's got 940 total yards from scrimmage. Doesn't seem like it, does it? I mean, there's still, what, six games left? And he's only 60 yards away from having 1,000 yards from scrimmage. It has quietly been a pretty damn good season for, for James Cook in his first year as a, uh, mostly feature back. So pretty pissed off that he got benched for a quarter and a half last week. But I'll tell you what, as annoying as that was at the time, it's undisputable right now. You have We have seen a different James Cook since that early benching last week. This guy is running much more. Uh, he's running harder. He's hitting the holes harder, less dancing, more willing to physically engage at the point of contact, it seems. Then he was earlier, like he's running, like he's on a mission and you could see it, like his hair's on fire. I guess that's the, the term that I was looking for. Very impressive James Cook against the Jets. Uh, Latavius Murray did what you would expect from Latavius Murray, what realistically you want from him. 10 carries, 35 yards. He's that guy if the Bills are getting, you know, if they got a late third, fourth quarter lead and they're running the ball, and, and they want to feel safe that somebody's not going to fumble the ball and nothing bad's going to happen when it's in his hands, you're going to see Latavius Murray uh, get that football. Ty Johnson. <laughs> I tell you this, and I know a lot of you were thinking the same way. Like, why is Ty Johnson playing in this game? Why is Leonard Fournette not been elevated yet? I was not happy. I, I'm calling myself out here again. I did this earlier this week, too. I tweeted about it. The inactives came out. And immediately my, my quote tweet after the Bills listed their inactives was, I can't believe this football team. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Every time they get so many in season, it takes forever, especially the running back position for them to matter. Naheem Hines last year, Leonard Fournette this year. It's like why other teams running backs come in three, four days later, they're carrying the ball 13 times. So I was pissed off that Leonard Fournette wasn't playing because I didn't see anything from Ty Johnson in his few appearances. But it, again, going back to Joe Brady, it was clear that he wanted Ty Johnson in this game and that he had a specific plan for him. Ty Johnson, three carries. Um, one of them went for 13 yards, three catches, 47 yards, and a touchdown. And that touchdown came on fourth in about a yard and a half. Josh Allen, play action, rolls out to the right, hits Ty Johnson, wide open, great scheme call by Joe Brady and then Ty Johnson does the rest. Spectacular play. This guy's useful. Man, is he useful. Um, 86.0 overall grade, by the way. that was the highest on the entire offense. So Ty Johnson went from a guy that like most of us are thinking, what in the hell is this guy doing active and why is Leonard Fournette not active? He went from that to having the highest PFF grade of anybody on the offense. So really good to see. And that might've been my favorite thing about Joe Brady in his first week as coordinator, his ability to use the running backs in the passing game, and more specifically, Ty Johnson, in part because we didn't see it coming. And quite apparently, the Jets didn't see it coming either. Uh, wide receiver. This is going to be the first time all season in this like film analysis series where I'm not even going to mention uh, Stefan Diggs first because I got to talk about Khalil Shakir. Three catches, a buck 15, 81 yard touchdown, catch and run. I got to say this too that throw is one of the best throws you ever, ever will see from a quarterback. Josh Allen flat-footed, caught him hitting that seam in stride perfectly. And then Khalil made a couple guys miss and did the rest. By far the biggest Bills play of the season and not even close. Um, He is starting to become a a big factor in this offense, and they need it. They need it. 115 yards this game, hit 92 against Tampa a couple weeks ago. So he's really emerged from a crowded slot wide receiver room to become the guy. He's up to 363 yards receiving uh, this season. 72.6 PFF overall grade, which I feel is really low considering what he did. Uh, He had a drop. uh, Maybe that hurt his score some, but man, you really, you really love to see it from uh, Khalil Shakir and his emergence might not help in the stat sheet right now with Stefan Diggs or especially Gabe Davis, but his emergence is going to help them in a game where they're going to need it. Anyway, Stefan Diggs held only four catches for 27 yards, his lowest output of the season, 49.5 overall grade, his worst of the season, had a couple drops. I don't know if BFF officially charged him with more than one drop, but he had a couple balls that he should have caught, and he didn't. Who gives a shit? (laughs) My worry meter with Stefan Diggs is literally uh, zero. Now, one thing to note that I saw in the PFF advanced stats, they moved them around plenty, 17 snaps in the slot, 19 from the outside. That's notable to me because of the last couple weeks, the last two weeks specifically, almost all of his snaps have been from the outside. So Joe Brady was using them inside. Joe Brady was using them on the outside. And again, I'm, I, I'm actually happy Stefan Diggs didn't put up numbers because it's important to me to see the other guys Step up and and have other people or you know opposing uh, defenses. No, that is not just Stephon Diggs. This isn't going to be a one dimensional offense. You hope anyway going forward. So I got no problem with Stephon having a quiet day. Even the best receivers in the NFL have those uh, once in a while. I already talked about Gabe Davis. No catches, no targets. I mean, what more is there really left to uh to say that we haven't already? You just hope at some point he's they're going to need him. At some point, he's going to have to have one of those weeks where if the Bills are going to win, Gabe Davis is going to need to have three or four catches for 115 yards and a long touchdown. It's coming. It's going to have to come at some point. So just hold on with Gabe Davis and you hope. Uh, Deontay Hardy, at this point, I got to be off that train, man. I've really wanted Deontay Hardy to work out. At this point, he's just an incredibly expensive punt returner who signed a two-year contract. And probably will get cut during this offseason. Uh, the expectation that I had was worst case he would be a uh, hyped up, souped up, I should say, Isaiah McKenzie. And it's just not happening. One carry on a on a jet sweep, or not even a jet sweep, but uh, yeah, it was a jet sweep. Lost two yards. Didn't didn't touch the ball again for the rest of the game. So stay healthy, Khalil Shakir. Let's just put it that way because they're not getting anything from uh, Deontay Hardy. Tight ends. Dalton Kincaid, six catches, 46 yards, and five catches in the first half, 71.9 PFF overall grade. Uh, he had a drop, but whatever. He's crushing it now. He is just straight up crushing it. He's up to 51 catches on the season, which is uh, the fourth most, I believe, in the NFL among all tight ends. Only TJ Hawkinson, Evan Ingram, and Travis Kelsey have caught more passes than Travis or than uh, Dalton Kincaid as a rookie. And one thing I saw in film too, and then I looked at his PFF grades and I'm like, they're still not great, but they're certainly an improvement. Dalton Kincaid's getting better at run blocking. Like there were a couple good plays where, uh, including Shakir's touchdown, it wasn't a great block, but he got enough, almost with his butt too, to knock down two defenders on the Shakir touchdown. 71.0 PFF run block grade, which was his second highest of the year. So he's really improving there big, big fan, as I'm sure all you are, of Dalton Kincaid. I feel like every week we're starting to see him become a more complete player, not just a little safety dump off valve. He's starting to stretch the field a little more. He's starting to get a lot more physical. Like he looks for contact. That's like kind of like a Dawson, Dawson Knox thing. Catching the ball, looking for contact. You could see after fumbling that big one against Cincinnati, when he's getting ready to get hit, he gets that second hander to ball. Um, great stuff from Dalton Kincaid. Quinn and Moore is not a good game, 29 snaps, did nothing, had a, not an easy catch, but it was a drop, hit him low, should have caught the ball, uh, 55 run block grade, nah, like I said, just, uh, not a memorable game for, for Quinny Morris, offensive line, you know, Deion Dawkins was like, uh, such an enigma in this game, 69.9 pass block grade, 78.1 run block grade, which is very good, 67.5 overall, so he did a lot of good things. But he also gave up a sack, and he also got penalized. He got penalized three times. There were four penalties against him. Three were accepted. Kind of like a really up-and-down game from Deion Dawkins. PFF-wise, he's somewhere in the top like 15 to 18 in run block, pass block, and overall grades among offensive tackles for the season. So he's been good. I mean, not great, but he's been solid. Mitch Morse, a very good game for him. 74.4 pass block grade from PFF, which is really good. 78.5 run block grade, which for him is great. That is a great job against an interior Jets uh, dominant defensive interior. 79.1 overall grade, which was the second best on the offense behind only Ty Johnson. This was his best run blocking and his best overall grade. Uh, from PFF for the entire season. So he played really good. He's been a good pass blocking all season. 71.3 for the season. 10th out of 40 eligible centers in the NFL. He's only been uh, charged with one sack and 15 pressures. So Mitch Morse is getting up there in age. We don't know what his future is going to be. He potentially could be a cap casualty during the offseason. He's never been a great run blocker, but he's been adequate. Kind of more of the same this year, but he's been really, really good with pass blocking. Uh, Spencer Brown, only a 44.8 run block grade from PFF, 61 pass blocking grade. He was, well, he was good enough, I guess. Uh, Conor McGovern, 50.8 overall, 44.5 run block grade, which stinks, 73 pass blocking grade, which is good. For the season, 50, or I'm sorry, 74.2 pass blocking grade for the season. So out of 87 eligible guards with PFF, He's got the ninth highest grade. That is outstanding. Conversely, 44.2 season run blocking grade. So out of 85 dards, he's ranked just 77th, which is the eighth worst. Look, the book on him coming from Dallas was 100% right. And we're seeing it on film and with the grades every week. He's an outstanding pass blocker and he is a very mediocre run blocker. Simple as that. Uh, last guy, Osiris Torres, the rookie. 46, this was a bad game for him, by the way. 46.8 overall grade, worse on the offensive line by a lot. 65.8 run blocking grade, okay. 12.1 pass blocking grade. I gotta be honest with you, I can't remember, and certainly not this season, looking at offensive line pass blocking grades and seeing uh, a number that low. That is atrocious. For the season, he is 47th out of 85 guards eligible overall in PFF in terms of his grade. Good with the run block. Pretty good anyway. 29th out of 85 with the run blocking, but only 66 out of 85 pass blocking. He is the literal opposite of what Conor McGovern is. Osiris Torres is doing a pretty good job run blocking, and he's not doing a very good job, at least when you look at the grades, and to some extent the film, uh, with pass blocking. He's been all right. A decent rookie, you know, hopefully a, a good future, something to build off starting as a rookie. But quite honestly, this year, uh, nothing more than average. And you look at him and he's playing the interior and you look at Jalen Carter and, and you look at Chris Jones coming up on the schedule and you're like, yikes. Uh, defensively, Leonard Floyd, two and a half sacks. This is why I don't understand PFF, man. So he has two and a half sacks and his pass rush grade is only 68.5. I, I don't get it. I just... I don't freaking get it. They're all at their PFF grades when it comes to Leonard Floyd. Is he just, is it every time he gets in the backfield, it results in a sack? I don't know. But that's a pretty low grade for somebody who had two and a half sacks, man. Nine and a half sacks on the season. Look, I don't want to get, I don't want to get into to the weeds with players individually here because I want to get this uh, wrapped up. But Leonard Floyd has been an amazing signing for the Bills. Amazing. I talked about it on Twitter earlier this week, where would the conversations with Vaughn Miller be and how much more heated and animosity-filled would they be when it comes to Von Miller were it not for Leonard Floyd? Because Leonard Floyd, quite frankly, is doing all the things that we were hoping Vaughn Miller would be able to come back this year and do. Understandable to an extent why Von Miller is not doing what he's doing. Just came off an ACL, not even a year or just around a year now, and he's old. He might ramp up and get back at the end of the season. You certainly hope next year, but it's not happening right now. But it doesn't matter all that much right now because Leonard Floyd is doing what we wanted from Vaughn Miller. Outstanding game, outstanding season from Leonard Floyd. I don't give a shit what the PFF grades are. AJ FNES had a half sack, really solid 80.9 overall grade. Uh, Greg Rizzo had a sack. Shaq Lawson had a sack. Vaughn Miller, 69.8 overall grade. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. God only knows at this point. I don't know how his grade is just as high overall as as Leonard Floyd. I I just, I don't get it. You know, some people have told me that PFF just likes certain players or styles more than others. We'll talk more about Von Miller. I've already talked about him this week. So again, I don't want to beat a a dead horse here when it comes to Von Miller. The interior at Oliver, another good game, had a sack, 75.1 overall grade, which is good. Apparently, though, just a really bad day tackling. Uh, Only a 30.1 grade. I do know on the Jets, one touchdown, a short pass to Brees Hall. You can see it on film, too. Ed Oliver should have had him and and failed to make the tackle. Brees Brees Hall scored. Doesn't really matter. Just wanted to point that out. Uh, Jordan Phillips, just 36.9 overall grade. And also had his weekly stupid personal foul penalty at this point. You can count on that shit. Did have a 51.1 tackle grade, which for him, quite frankly, is uh, pretty good. Leval Joseph, 30 overall grade per PFF on defense, the lowest of anyone on the Bills defense on Sunday, 26.1 tackle, 39.3 run defense grade. I don't get it. I watched the film. I focused on him, at least to a certain extent, and I didn't see him make any real mistakes out there. There might've been one or two plays for him to make out there that he didn't, but I don't know, man. Those are terrible grades for a guy that didn't look to me anyway. Like he had a uh, a terrible game. So I don't, I don't know what to say about Limbaugh Joseph. Tim Settle, 68.2 overall grade. Typical for him. He's another guy. He's just one of the guys out there. I uh, really haven't seen a lot this year from Tim I'm Not saying he's trash, but uh, just another guy. Linebacker, Tyrell Dodson, 92.9 overall grade. That is sensational. 89.0 run defense. And my first thought was, what is PFF doing giving them a grade that high? Then I remember looking back at the game and saying to myself, I watched the game with Tone Pucks and I'm like, dude, actually I didn't watch it with Tone Pucks. So i me make sure I'm factual. I was watching it with my wife and with my son. Tone did the show with me after. But anyway, I remember was saying during the game, I'm like, man, Tyrell Dotson is having himself a game. And he did. He had a great game. He also had a uh, a nice hit. I think it was on Garrett Wilson that caused a fumble that Rasul Douglas fell on. So it was a great game for Tyrell Dodson. I guess realistically, this is about as good of a game as you could ever, ever hope for with somebody like him. Uh, Tyrell Bernard, 71.9 overall grade, only a 49.4 run grade, which was the worst of the season for him. Uh, he did have a sack, so he's up to three and a half this year. I pointed out because I don't know why I can't help myself. I always talk about a comparison with him and Tremaine in terms of splashy big plays. Three and a half sacks. Tremaine Emmons' career high with the Bills in a season was only two. Terrell Bernard continues to, to play great. And one thing he saw on film, by the way, God, I can't remember because I'm, I'm going off the top of my head. Oh, Zach Wilson. He hits it. Zach Wilson scrambled. Tyrell, or Terrell Bernard fell on him. And then rubbed his whole body on top of him, on top of his helmet, getting up. Um, If that was Josh Allen, we'd be fired up right now. But it wasn't. It was Zach Wilson. Don't give a shit. And it was fun to see from uh, Bernard. Last thing here, to DBs, Rasul Douglas, man, 96.3 overall grade. I mean, like, wow, 96.3. That's one of the highest single grade games for a uh, defensive back that I've ever seen. Ever with PFF. Two interceptions, a fumble recovery, 95.3 cover grade from PFF. Dude is just sticky in coverage. Garrett Wilson, when he was matched up with Garrett Wilson, Four targets, zero catches. What a trade from Brandon Bean. And I don't want to get into the future here, but I'm going to say this much. This is no one and done dude. There are some people who thought thought Bean went out at the deadline, got a quarter to take a trade white splice this year, $9 million cap it for next year. Well, who cares? Because they'll just cut him. That shit ain't happening. $9 million, this guy is a steal. If anything, I'm going in this offseason now saying, hey, Brandon, let's get this guy an extension and get him here for three to four years, and you might be able to lower his $9 million cap hit for next year because you're going to need to make as much cap room as possible. But whether they do that or not, this dude ain't going nowhere. We'll talk about this more in the offseason. I think Trey White is more likely to not be back with Buffalo than Rasul Douglas at this point. This dude, since coming here, even on just a couple days practice before Cincy, especially last week against Denver and even more so against the Jets. This dude is a very, very, very good corner. Love him. Uh, Dane Jackson, he was playing fine, got hurt, suffered a concussion. Uh, Christian Benford came in, didn't start the game, Dane Jackson did. but when Dane went out, Benford went in, played great, 87.5 overall grade, 87.1 coverage grade, only thrown at him once. It was an incomplete pass. Really nice breakup for him on, uh, I think it was Alan Lazard. Micah Hyde, 67.8 overall grade, not even targeted in the passing games, and no coverage grades for him. Jordan Poyer nearly had a pick, made a really good play. 61 overall grade from PFF. Um, I I don't even know. I'm looking at my notes. I don't know why he had a a lower grade. He did get picked up. I know he tried to blitz a couple times and got stifled by the running back. He missed a tackle, but whatever, man. Jordan Poyer, he was fine. No problems with him. Um, One catch in coverage for uh, two targets for 15 yards. Teron Johnson, such an up-and-down player because he's so great and he's so important, but the numbers are not, they've not been good the last at least handful of weeks. Uh, 49.4 overall grade, 47.9 coverage grade, got beat a few times, two targets, two catches, 32 yards, and then suffered a concussion. You hope he's back especially with these offenses coming up because even if Teron Johnson is struggling a little bit and no disrespect to Cam Lewis, who has a next stinger in his day-to-day, but the difference between Teron Johnson and Cam Lewis in the slot is literally 90 days. So you hope he's back. So those are your positional grades and thoughts on some of those players. We'll conclude here with um, them playing Philly on Sunday. Needless to say, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. They're going to have their hands full the Philadelphia Eagles are a great football team. Only lost one game this year. Ironically did the New York Jets. Zach Wilson is the one quarterback in the NFL this year. That is being the Philadelphia Eagles. You want to talk about a week to week league. That is like the poster for saying the NFL is a week to week league. Zach Wilson, the one quarterback, Zach Wilson, the now third string quarterback for the New York Jets, the one quarterback who's being the Eagles this week. The Eagles beat Kansas City on Monday night. Good for the Bills. Um, look, this is going to, again, this is, gonna be a, this is a tough matchup for the bills. I'm not going to say, it, I'm not going to lie. We'll talk about it more over the next couple of days too, but Jalen hurts, not just throwing the ball, but running the ball. Deandre Swift is a great running back, man. The bills run defense is going to have their hands full. Linval Joseph, this is why you go out and this is why you go get him because he's going to have to clog up lanes. He's going to have to be a factor. It's a really good Philadelphia offense line, by the way. PFF shitty grades aside, since joining the Bills, this is the week where Laval Joseph is really going to have to step up. And Ed Oliver is going to have to play great. And they're going to have to find a way to tackle better because the Bills defense, with the exception in this game against the Jets, because I thought they tackled just fine. But tackling has been a big issue for the Buffalo Bills defense this year. Cannot be against Philly. It just can't be. They run the ball too effectively. Not to mention A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Matt Douglas, and whether it's Benford or Dane Jackson, they're going to have their hands full there too. Philly's got a great defensive line. You know, I, I straight up worry about Osiris Torrance in every aspect of the game against a team like Philly. Uh, I worry about Connor McGovern he and Mitch Morris even be able to adequately because you know the Bills want to run the football, they want to move the ball effectively, precisely, and the Philadelphia defense, the defensive line, is just not an easy uh, line to to be able to do that against. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. When the schedule came out, well, maybe when the schedule came out, but after maybe five, six weeks, like after the Jacksonville loss and you can see that the Bills, the injuries really, you know, hurt this roster and they were starting to do some reeling. I looked at the rest of the schedule and I said, there's two games on there that I don't think the Bills going into the game are the better team. One of them was Cincinnati. I just hate the matchup. It's the Bengals. I just think it's a shitty matchup. And then the other one's the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm confident, borderline highly confident, that the Bills are very capable of having their bye week after this game, going into Kansas City and beating them. They've done it the last two years. I know that the Bills are more than capable of beating Kansas City. I don't feel the same way about the Philadelphia Eagles. Not to say it's not doable. It's certainly doable. Josh Allen, if he plays at the top of his game in this offense, distributes the ball, you know, and they're unpredictable and it's not all Stefan Diggs and it's not all Josh Allen hero ball or bust. I think the bills offense is capable of going score for score with Philly. So I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just not confident. What I do know is this realistically between Philly this week and Kansas city after bye, the bills got to get one of those two games, got to get one of those two games. And then I think they're in pretty good shape with a real, real shot of getting in the postseason. Maybe winning the AFC East if they can win one of these next two. But anyway, we'll talk about that over the next couple of days. It's going to do it for this episode. Have a very, very happy Thanksgiving, man.